But I'm always interested in, as a practitioner, what is on the way to? Come on. We're never going to get to reparations if we don't have a framework for understanding something like labor, sure. enslaved right. labor, stolen labor. And so I said, well, let me write something about that because it seems to be that there is an understanding, even though a lot of indigenous folks trouble land acknowledgements, particularly how they're done, the performativity, uh, you know, um, is it a settler move to innocence to sort of think mm -hmm. about Chuck's work? Um, and so, but I, I knew that that was familiar to folks so I could use that as a point of entry mm -hmm. to talk about labor as we then also talk about land. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, we're discussing labor acknowledgements. Many may be familiar with land acknowledgements. Labor acknowledgements are similar and different. Today, we'll be discussing the purpose, history, practice, and cautions around labor acknowledgements. I'm so glad to have three wonderful thinkers here to explore this with us today. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find out details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity, a true partner Simplicity sports, supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach, and you can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm broadcasting from Minneapolis, Minnesota at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of the Dakota and Ojibwe peoples. So let's get to the conversation. As I just did a land acknowledgement, uh, folks may be familiar with that. And we, one of our very first episodes in the podcast was about land acknowledgements, what they are, kind of troubling them, kind of thinking through them, avoiding performative ways and expanding on them. And one of the things that has been coming up for me is uh, labor acknowledgements and, and seeing some of those done in some places, seeing them done a little bit more frequently. Um, and so I'm really glad to have folks here who have worked with this, thought about this, um, help us learn more about it, uh, think through it and and talk about it. So let's, uh, let's meet the folks we have. Um, Joan, we'll start with you. All right, I'm glad to be here today. Good to see my friends. Um, I'm Dr. Joan Collier. I am Assistant Vice President for Equity and Inclusion at Rutgers University. Uh, so I work across all four chancellor units in central administration. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, and this is uh, Lenape land unseated. Um, and so uh, for me, this conversation is timely because I'm a practitioner. And so mm -hmm. what does that mean uh, to, you know, there's theory and then there's practice. Um, and practice and theory are really dope and sometimes they fight and they tussle. Mm. Um, and so this is a tussle topic, right? And so I'm excited for us uh, to get into it. I uh, know TJ, we went to grad school together, go dogs. And Layla is our cousin, though she did not go to Georgia. She was always with the Georgia crew. Right. Um, so we are basically having a family reunion and folks are getting to listen into the conversation uh, about something that uh, for me was a practice that TJ brought to attention. We had these conversations about how land acknowledgments were, you know, really helpful, really thoughtful, um, ways that people could like exploit them and be like ridiculous. And yep. if we're talking about um, exploitation of land, well, the land was used with people. And so who are those mm -hmm. people and how do we um, repair? So I do a lot of RJ work or restorative justice and restorative practices work. When we start talking about repair, you actually have to acknowledge is a starting point for some of that work. And so mm -hmm. that's my connection. Glad to be here and 
I'm going to pass it over to, I think, Layla for her introduction. Mm -hmm. Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Layla McLeod. I'm assistant professor of higher education at Grand Valley State University, which is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I come to this topic, again, as... Um, cousins of my Georgia folks, but also thinking about someone as someone who teaches um, in a master's only graduate student affairs graduate preparation program, students are often asking questions about land and labor acknowledgements, how mm -hmm. to use them, what are they to be used for. Um, a lot of our work as graduate faculty is social socializing folks into the field and a lot of that socialization is around practices like these and so I'm always encouraging my students to ask different questions, right? And to really interrogate, are they doing certain things because that's the norm of the field and what connection do they have to that and what messaging are they passing on to the students they work with? So I'm going to pass it on to Dr. Stewart. Thanks, it's good to be here and be, good to be here with my kin. My name is TJ Stewart, he and him are my pronouns. I'm an assistant professor of higher education and student affairs at Iowa State University. Um, and for me, this topic, I guess I'm, I'm most sort of uh, aligned or connected to it from an op-ed um, kind of piece that I wrote in Diverse Issues of Higher Education um, titled On Labor Acknowledgements and Honoring the Sacrifice of Black Americans. And so this connects to some broader work and interest that I have around issues and concerns of Black people generally, but specifically in higher education. Um, but particularly, this stems from my interest in anti-Blackness as a phenomenon um, and sort of was part of sort of the impetus to that piece. But um, it's something that has always interested me and really stems from like in thinking about what Layla offered at, and what Joan has offered uh, as a practitioner. So my work, my stomping grounds was in multicultural student affairs, equity and justice related work, um, and really thinking about how we bring those together um, in meaningful and material ways. And so I was at Ohio State University for many years. And we were a multicultural center, but we had what was called an intercultural model. And so what that meant was, is that mm -hmm. we did both and. We did the constituency specific stuff, like the Heritage and Awareness Months. But there was also this broader issue of like, who are we together as minoritized people and why might that matter? Um, and so that was sort mm -hmm. of a lot of my introduction to thinking about particularly anti-Blackness and how that um, shows up or, or um, how we might think about that, even within equity and justice spaces. Mm -hmm. Well, let's continue down that. And thanks for letting me join the family reunion. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're very generous. Welcome. Um, um, you know, I first learned about this idea through your piece and diverse issues in higher education, TJ. Um, and I, I thought it really uh, provocative and thoughtful, made me think about that, but also made me think about uh, land acknowledgements differently um, and, and, and sort of thinking through a, a little bit further. Um, and it's been a while since that came out. It was probably a while further before you wrote it, a while further to thinking about it. So can you tell us a little bit about how that piece came to be yeah. in terms of the history and purpose of labor acknowledgments and maybe how your thinking has evolved since then? Yeah. So I I'm going to try to tell this as concisely as possible because it is Thank a robust you. story. But <laughs> I think that the short version is, is I, as I from an academic perspective, I have a master's degree um, in labor and human resources. So mm -hmm. I'm interested in labor as a concept and a construct to begin with, um, particularly labor under capitalism, meaning we all have to work <laughs> if we want to eat and like have somewhere to live. So I'm interested in that concept. 
So moving forward, as I was doing equity and justice work, I be and particularly with the rise of Black Lives Matter, one of the critiques I kept hearing, particularly from um, non-Black people of color or non-Black, non-white folks, was it seems like we're always talking about Black people and Black stuff. What about our issues? Which I think mm -hmm. is a really important um, uh, consideration <laughs> for us. But what kept coming up for me is it felt like that there was a interest in wanting to use the labor that Black people had kind of um, cr created and marshaled to bring this particular issue to the forefront for other mm -hmm. communities' issues. And that didn't yeah. feel good to me. So I kept sitting with this, like, why is it that whenever we talk about Black Lives Matter, it seems to be there's some folks who feels like that we're taking up too much space and what about our issues? And my question is always, well, what about your issues? Tell us about them. Bring those mm -hmm. to the fore. Right. So then we get to, uh, I'm going uh, to, you know, to conferences and we're doing these land acknowledgements. I'm doing them. And I was always trying to make sure they weren't performative. What do um, indigenous uh, knowledge systems have to say to whatever it is I'm talking about? Right. Um, and, and how do we think about that? And so I'm doing that and, and picture it, right? We've all been to conferences or many of us have been to conferences. Mm -hmm. You're in a room, you're presenting, it's a, you know, a, a hotel or convention center. And in the back, there's this tray with everyone's coffee and trash and food. And some Black person, usually, or person of color, comes in to clean up that trash. Mm -hmm. And those are the folks that are making our beds. And those are the folks that are serving us food at all these restaurants, usually in these cities. And so I'm sitting with, like, how we're acknowledging place and space, which is important, but not really thinking about issues around labor, capitalism, wages. And we come to these cities and and, I, and I've noticed at times we are not always good guests, not only to the land, but to the people who labor on our behalf while we're there. And so um, I started to think about that and, and I and I started to, you know, try to synthesize that with some of the conversations we've had in this country around reparations, um, particularly yeah. thinking about enslaved Africans and their ascendants and what would that look like and, and what would that mean? We are nowhere near reparations mm -hmm. in a meaningful way and practice happening in this country. But I'm always interested in, as a practitioner, what is on the way to? Come on. We're never going to get to reparations if we don't have a framework for understanding something like labor, sure. enslaved right. labor, stolen labor. And so I said, well, let me write something about that, because it seems to be that there is an understanding, even though a lot of Indigenous folks trouble land acknowledgments, particularly how they're done, the performativity, uh, you know, um, is it a settler move to innocence to sort of think mm -hmm. about Tuck's work? Um, and so, but I, I knew that that was familiar to folks so I could use that as a point of entry mm -hmm. to talk about labor as we then also talk about land. And so when I wrote the piece, that was sort of the sense. And I wanted to do two things. I wanted to one, push us all to do better with land acknowledgements that how can we move beyond just stating the thing? Um, for mm -hmm. me, that's really easy as a professor because I can always tie that in and weave it in to the curriculum and to the teaching. I do think we still need to do some work around the practice. Um, and then um, I wanted to sort of introduce this idea of how do we think about labor in two ways. Historical issues around forced uh, slavery, enslaved Africans and their ascendants, but also contemporary issues around labor, capitalism, yeah income inequality, because what we know about colonialism, people often like to think about is that something that happened in the past and isn't anymore. And what indigenous right. scholars will right. tell us is, nope, it's always already ongoing. That's I'm right. saying the same thing about okay. labor. 
people were forced and yeah. stolen from their lands. Yeah. Part of the economic growth of this country that we know today was due to that. And we still see the tremors of that today. Yeah. Uh, when you see disproportionately oh, sure. black and brown people not having the same income, not having the same quality of life. And so it's a past, a present, and a sort of future. Um, the biggest change, I still feel the same way uh, as I, what I would have changed it to the phrasing from acknowledgement to a commitment. If I would have done it again, mm -hmm. I would say on labor commitments. Mm -hmm. And that is a different yeah. way of thinking about it because we can acknowledge and then what is your yeah. commitment? in the space, in your right. life, in your work. That right. would be the only sort right. of transformation I've had would have been just changing the language a little mm. bit. Mm -hmm. I like that. Oh, interesting. Like that. Gosh, TJ, that, that's, uh, so mm -hmm. I have ADHD and my brain is like, <laughs> uh, but coming out of that, and I'm not at the question yet, I'm still processing a uh, couple things. So the piece of TJ, wait, TJ, were you done? Yeah. The expansion of it, right? <laughs> Probably make sure he's done from that. The expansion of it, right, is not just the historical piece of it, but the historical yeah. piece matters. So um, Honeycomb Justice, um, particularly Jazz, who's over it, uh, talks about harms in four discrete ways in the restorative way. And the fourth way that actually got to the harm repair part was around inflamed historical and structural sort of pieces that people mm -hmm. often sort of miss over, right? They go to the emotional, the relational, and like the material, but then there's this there's this piece that's missing. And so for the historical pieces of like, people were brought here and enslaved, forced into labor. And then the second piece of existing today, like unless you are independently wealthy, you are working by like working to survive. And there are people and, right? And there are people whose work is invisible, but required. Um, I'm at an institution uh, where our faculty um, unions just came off of a unified strike. Um, and it it was um, fascinating to watch in real time. Their ambulance is downstairs, so it's really loud, my apologies. So it's fascinating to watch that in real time and the racial politic around labor and conversations yeah. around it. So I am um, appreciative for TJ uh, parsing out some more of sort of what that was. But if we go into the pieces around what does that look like in practice? So moving from just the acknowledgement to the commitment, the mm -hmm. acknowledgement I will still stand by is that people actually have to acknowledge because there's some of that that doesn't happen. And in real time on campuses, if we're talking about college campuses and probably particularly four-year schools is where stuff sort of sort of uh, bumbles up, not bumbles, but like flares up is around not even, uh, not even starting at talking about enslaved labor or forced labor. It's really around people were enslaved here and this building is named after someone who enslaved those people. So that's right. how I see it often come up. It's like, we we even got to that because y'all still trying to tell us that these were just random Black people mm -hmm. in this time period where collectively uh, the labor of enslaved people was like the literal largest form of currency for the United States. I'm currently reading Clint Smith's How the Word Was Passed. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, 19 project goes on too. Go ahead. Well, and I just you, you, the the passive voice in that rhetoric switch there. Uh, people were enslaved. Catch right. It just it uh, mystifies the perpetrators, the active, as though it happened to people through this mythological alien being. We're not really quite sure about when we know exactly who it was and how that happened. 
And so actually having to say, right, people were enslaved. Why were they enslaved? Because they were exploited. And that's right. There were systems in place that were created. They just didn't fall out of the sky. They were mm -hmm. created to do this work. And so that's mm -hmm. how I often see any sense of labor coming up, particularly with our students. Faculty might come up in research and staff are like, what do we do for students when they come to us with this? In practice, um, my institution does not have a for a, a an official labor. We have no labor acknowledgement. We have a land one. Uh, mm -hmm. There's one constituency of our institution that does utilize a land uh, a labor acknowledgement because of TJ's work. And so I had mm -hmm. shared that in our group uh, that I pulled together, our diversity education network. Uh, it's one of one of our colleagues took it and used it at the Black and Latin uh, graduation this weekend. Um, and it was interesting to see people's reactions to it because it was like, oh, yeah. I've heard of land, but labor, like, what is that? Mm -hmm. And what I appreciate about mm -hmm. it is that it actually invites people to question and it invites people to get curious to say, well, I wonder what that looks like on my campus, which isn't as hard to do now because folks are doing historical reviews and sort of understanding at conferences, ACPA, you know, starts moving through their pieces. I believe we have one through ACPA or at least it's starting to bubble up to the surface. But when um, I think it was in January, February, Corey Bazemore James and I did a land acknowledgement workshop for um, a researchers in higher ed financer sort of um, group. And we brought up labor acknowledgements and they were mystified. They did not, they not heard mm -hmm. of it. And so trying to expand the word out so that people understand that this is part of a broader conversation of acknowledgement, making right, and moving to action around it. One of the hiccups, and I'm gonna stop talking because I've been talking for like four minutes, mm -hmm. is that folks don't know where to start or they say, I'm concerned because of legal counsel. That if mm -hmm. you say there was enslaved labor or forced labor, uh, you run into like, well, now what do we owe? The well, legal and that's, oh, that's interesting. And, and that's, because yeah. when I, because one of the resources I put in, I'm sure will show up in the show, in the show notes are sort of the university studying slavery. And so it's interesting because we have this consortium mm -hmm. of nearly 100 institutions that are looking at their histories and legacies with uh, slavery, a lot yep. of it coming from Wilder's text, Ebony and Ivy, and look, looking at how higher ed is not absolved from right these histories and legacies but when I started to look because I said well may, surely you know in, in academia we have to always be careful and I think about Layla who always reminds us like you were not the first to come up with an idea somebody somewhere has written about it <laughs> talked about it like so I always try to be very diligent and so I didn't I was under no um, yeah. illusion that I was the first person to have thought about these things but when I went to search a lot of the pieces I mean University of Louisville was one Fitchburg State when you search labor acknowledgments point back to this diverse issues piece. And so what that tells me is a couple things. One, I know that we have a, a understanding and a paradigm for understanding issues of chattel slavery historically and contemporarily. Yep. I don't think it's been operationalized in a way that allows people to think about why we should always be talking about it. Correct. So I don't think it's lost on people mm. that, oh yeah, slavery exists and it matters, but that's why I connected it 
to land acknowledgments because there was a paradigm for understanding that importance. So now we're talking about bodies and people doing things. So I just wanted to name, I mean, countless Black scholars, Black uh, study scholars that talked about issues of labor. I mean, I, I put in, you know, Kathy Weeks on, you know, the problem mm -hmm. with work. So I talked about my entry was in labor and human resources, but I don't think there was a paradigm for thinking about why we need to always already yeah. be talking about it. So I, I think that's interesting. And so you can have an institution studying something like slavery and still not make the connection of why, okay, beyond we put up these beautiful websites and found all this information. Um, and so what does that mean? And so then the next question, which will really scare people is, and then what do we owe? And what mm -hmm. that, 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 that is literally where, see now you don't pulled out my stutter because I don't started running too fast. That is where people get stuck, right? Because you have students or student affairs folks or some professor mm -hmm. who's read and is like, oh, this is great. Yeah. What, do we do? what do we do? What do we do? We want to do more. We want to do more. We, we want to do more. And as a uh, more senior administrator, right, my mind is running to who's going to try to stop, <laughs> who's mm -hmm. going to be politely getting in the way, um, who's going to say, well, we can say this, right? And they will say a labor acknowledgement to begin, right? And they will say, this is not the end of our work. It is the beginning. I am always troubled by and troubling with um, people can speak, but institutions have to act. And institutions then are the leaders mm -hmm. who will mm -hmm. then say, well, I'm not sure what does that look like? And so what I offer people is do what you can where you can as you push mm -hmm. the university, but do what you can where you can. So if your institution doesn't have one, that may or may not be fine. And you can still do one in your area, right? right? right. And you can move beyond just saying it and say, okay, well, we started, right? If we're on a spectrum and not a binary, this is a, a first step. There's some other things that we can do. We can acknowledge the labor that's in our room. I mean, it's it's really simple yeah. sometimes stuff like, did you thank your catering staff? Yeah. Do you think about the impact of your event or program on the people that have to clean and move the space? Or is labor a concept that you're thinking about and how you move your work forward? That's actually really useful. It may not repair all of that. It starts to put us into a more thoughtful, ethical practice around labor because then we if we extrapolate it out more think about the ongoing tussles we have in student affairs around labor mm -hmm. and ethics hall life all that sort of stuff right. um right so that's 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 what comes up in my realm around labor acknowledgments and more thoughtfully around labor and i love that you're centering it in labor i knew mm -hmm. that but i forgot it tj so before yeah. we get too far down the road, I want to get Layla in here, and then I got to circle back to a quick question for TJ. That something you dropped real quick that I want to give you a little bit more time on. But Layla, get in here. Oh no! I again, I feel great to hear y'all processing this. I mean, one of the things I want to. I'm sitting with is the fact that this is an urgent now thing. A lot of times when we think about you know, the the labor, I'm going to start saying commitment because I really appreciate that language. And I think it's more va valuable for lack of a better word sure. than acknowledgement. Similarly with the land acknowledgements is that it makes everything historical, right? As if there mm -hmm. aren't living, breathing people that are moving and having conversations about this and how do we make it yep. contemporary? And so when I think particularly with student affairs, I'm thinking about, um, you know, the piece, um, around certification, the issues with relationships yeah. between student affairs divisions and graduate preparation programs, that is a labor exchange. Come on. It is 
your students are in my classroom and then I send them off to work for you in a couple of hours, but you're expect your the expectation is that I'm preparing them to do the work um in your office and then you send, you know, so it's it's a labor exchange, right? Yeah. And we I if we started calling that, I calling it that, I think people would have a different reaction to the relationship between graduate preparation programs and our student affairs or campus partners. But that labor exchange has a lot of expectations, what I like to call uncommunicated expectations about what would happen. Okay. And those those expectations are also layered in lots of ways, particularly around race, gender, sexuality, faith, mm -hmm. right? All the ways that we show up in the world. And I think to be able to name those and to give language in terms of what do you expect these students, particularly graduate students to do for 20 hours a week when they're making $9,000 a year, mm -hmm. but you expect them to work as if they are full-time, you know, full-time salaried employees. Yeah. Um, that already have the master's degree that they've come here to get, right? That is a inequitable exchange of labor, right? Yeah. And if we were to acknowledge our students, graduate students, future professionals that we want to go in this field are severely underpaid for the amount of labor that they do on college campuses, right? And this is also impacted by you know, and I think particularly about Black graduate students and the ways that they are also pulled to do um, hidden but expected labor, right? Yeah. Or Black faculty or Black administrators, the ways that, you know, Zorna Hurston calls where the mules of the world, particularly Black women, expected to do um, this hidden but expected labor. And so what happens when you call that out, then you're seen as a problem, right? And so similarly, I would say to the way that labor acknowledge, uh, labor commitments have been viewed, it's like, oh, you're trying to shift attention away from land acknowledgements. It's like, no, that's not how this works. This is not a either or, this is not a, um, you know, a, a competition to see who's more marginalized. We're, we're not, we're not playing those games. Right. We're trying to pull attention to the ways that labor shapes all of us and particularly um, black folks, which I feel like people, you know, that I have a t-shirt that says love, um, black people just as much or more than you love black culture, right? Yeah. So yeah. black people are convenient um, mm. in certain spaces, but when we call attention to the ways that our labor is misused yeah. um, or not fully acknowledged or committed to, um, you know, for example, you invite or you expect um, black administrators or faculty or students to do things that you don't pay them for. There's, mm. We're just expected to do them because that's what you hire, you know, that's what we're hired to do. We're supposed to be this diverse person on campus who does, you know, work that we're not fairly compensated for. So I could go on and on. And I just mm -hmm. want to be mindful mm -hmm. of our time. But well, I think particularly great. as a really yeah. And and I, I wanna I wanna sort of uh, trouble some of that in terms of how we do it. Um, because we are doing a lot of and 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 which is great. And then I'm thinking, well, that's a long paragraph as <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> we're getting mm -hmm. in here. Uh but before we get to some of that, TJ. Um, you used earlier, and I've heard you use before, um, ascendance rather mm -hmm. than descendants. Will you yeah. talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. So I lean on the work of Dr. Cynthia Dillard, who, among many things, um, you know, has a beautiful uh, ethic of care for uh, Black folks, for African folks. Um, but one of the things that she cites in her work is a scholar by the name of Asante, she um, asserts this claim, and now I do in my own work. And the short version is we have a belief that language is epistemic. And what that means is 
it's often doing things toward particular ways of knowing and being. I'll give you a very simple example. So in my classes, when I'm talking with students and we're talking about uh, those who might be from um, historically underrepresented groups, we often talk about what is the difference between minority and minoritized, right? And there's a, mm -hmm. uh, a article that I have them read. And what we talk about is, well, minority is a, is a quantitative measure, right? Mm -hmm. It's a number. Minoritized means someone's doing this to you or to right. me or to them. And so right. that's a very simple example to say, uh, similarly to uh, passive voice versus active voice, mm -hmm. right? And so it's all of that sort of wrapped up. So when we use something like, and so in Dr. Dillard's work, one of her uh, the, uh, sort of theoretical frameworks is in darkened feminist epistemology. And um, that's just sort of a complex way of saying Black women's ways of knowing and being that is also connected to their race, their gender, and their spirit, right? Mm -hmm. But she uses and darkened as a rejection of enlightened because mm -hmm. that is often mm -hmm. centered in traditional white feminism, the canons of white feminism. And what she sort of asks us is what is wrong with the dark and being in dark and whether we take that literally from the complexion of our skin, what does it mean for something to be uh, concentrated and enriched and saturated. So mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with something being in darkened. And so she also uses this, this language of ascendance. And mm -hmm. so it's a way to talk about the upward trajectory, the uplift um, and movement of Black people who have uh, come from, right, this strong, in, like incalculable strength of people who have experienced some of the worst horrors in history, right? And so that we are ascending from these folks. We are not descending from these folks. And so it's one of those things that it, it's really about, it's a linguistic sort of move, but because language is often doing something. And right. so I use that uh, language because it feels good to me and in my spirit in thinking about EFE. So it's EFE is a, it's not just another Black feminist uh, theory, mm -hmm. right? I have, right. we're working on a piece with some colleagues that all Black feminist theories, they're not just all the same. They actually have different what? points of views and what? perspectives and imagine that. But in EFE, spirit <laughs> is a big part. And so for me, ascendant feels good to my spirit and feels good for what I hope for Black people um, is our ability, is our is the hope for us to, to rise and continue to be and do better. Mm -hmm. Kiese Lehman um, talks about his hope for Black people as being that we should all have good love, healthy choices, and second chances. And so mm -hmm. it's in that same vein that I use yeah. um, ascendant. Uh, some people mm -hmm. will think about and hear and understand descendant, but it is just me sort of rejecting um, some yeah. of the uh, white supremacist uh, and worship of the word and us embracing an epistemological yeah. and linguistic sort of framing of our own. Well, I, I'll just share my experience hearing you use that uh, at ACPA super quick in passing. Yeah. I just like, I in that moment, I was like, whoa. And I just slowed down and I was like, that's different. Yeah. That's new. I think mm -hmm. this is what's going on. That's interesting. And so I had like a whole conversation with myself yeah. while you continue saying other things. So <laughs> what you were hoping to evoke is exactly what it hoped in me which yeah. was this sort of questioning, this awareness, this thinking, this connecting. Um, so I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I just want to throw, uh, we have a script, folks. We've thrown it out completely, <laughs> um, which is great. I want to just throw some of the complications that I've been thinking out about. Sure. And then and then Layla, maybe you can lead us. And okay. Feel free to pick up on these or, or go in your own direction. I'm thinking about how would labor acknowledgements or labor commitments be different if you're in a place that had 
slavery in the mm. South, perhaps, versus a place where perhaps didn't. And how would that shift? I'm also not that I live in Minnesota, not that centuries of racism hasn't existed here in different formats. I'm also thinking about how to do how to do the both and of recognizing the historical, but then as TJ mentioned, recognizing <laughs> like literally what's in the room. Uh, as we're doing keynotes and doing a labor commitment at the beginning of a keynote, while folks of color often are picking up plates and moving things around. And depending on where you are, those may be mostly black, black folks, yeah. or they may be not mostly black folks, but other people of color, depending on, on where we are. Uh, I'm just trying to think about how we might actualize this, how it might be done different in different contexts, because I think one of the things that does lead to performative land acknowledgements is sort of a one size fits all, you know, nuance repeated every time in the same way. Layla, what do you think? Yeah, so I think there's a lot there. I would, I mean, I would argue or push back that the labor of Black folks is what has made this country what it is. And regardless of where you are in the country, there are remnants of Blackness there. Yeah, I'm sure. also thinking about, um, folks, Black folks from different ethnic backgrounds and what that means for them. So like, you know, in a place like Minnesota where you have, you know, Black folks are not just from the U.S., but from other mm -hmm. parts of the world and how, mm -hmm. what is their relationship to that? But I also think mm -hmm. the diaspora speaks to that, right? Mm -hmm. Wherever we are, there is, um, we've been involved in labor in some kind and also people understand themselves in relationships to Blackness and Black labor. And, and so- anti-Blackness. Yes, essentially. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's specific. I don't think it's um, limited in any way. Um, but I do think it calls similarly to the ways that land acknowledgements, it requires people to do some additional work, yeah. right? To understand those relationships. So for example, with land acknowledgements, you know, there's you know, there's websites now where you can find, you know, the um the original stewards of the land that you live on. Okay, well, what would it look like for us to do some of that additional work to understand the Black communities that have existed in certain communities, you know, currently and historically, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, I went to school at University of Iowa and everyone's like, oh, you know, there are no Black folks in Iowa. There's a Black History Museum in Iowa mm -hmm. that documents this, you know, centuries of Black folks that have been in this space. What was their experience there? What was their history yeah. there? Right. right? So that to go this... to, to, go to uh, Waterloo and also talk to Nicole Hannah-Jones, she would yes. uh, <laughs> reject that. Uh, right. You know, so like there is history there in these places where you're like, oh, I only, you know, Black people live, you know, before I moved there, no one thought Black people were in Iowa. And I'm like, there's lots and generations of families that have been there. It's just, you have to do the additional work and get out of, you know, obviously there's some pushback on us having conversations about history um, from different state governments, but there is a need for us to do that additional work to understand the presence um, and the ways that Black folks, Black people, Black culture, um, and our labor have influenced every sector of this um, of this particular country. Um, I don't know if other folks wanted to jump in because I just want to be mindful of of space. So part of me just had a a visceral reaction, right? It's, and I think some of this is because geographic uh, location is to something. I'm from the South. I descend from ascend and descend, depending mm -hmm. on how folks understand it, from enslaved people. I can count back mm -hmm. on six fingers and be back in enslavement on mm -hmm. my daddy's side. Uh, and I now live in New Jersey. 
And the concept of a labor acknowledgement here, uh, people get it and they get into it, but there's this idea that, well, we're not the South. And I really want folks in this country to wrap their brain around this entire country benefited from the labor force of enslaved Africans. Again, it would literally, enslaved labor was the largest currency Morgan, mm-hmm. I mean, that's literally where that comes from. And so um, what we know is that colonial projects are still going on. Mm-hmm. So if you can get, if you can get at people's labor, right? There are people who are chronically poor. Poor poverty is a policy issue. And mm-hmm. a lot of our policies are around anti-blackness. And so when we find other people, right, people who are not black in roles where they are chronically poor, uh, overworked, underpaid, right? Yes, capitalism, but also white supremacy, also anti-Blackness, and it befalls on other people. And so um, the nuance of what a labor commitment looks like, and if we talk about commitment, what are we actually committing to, right? There are some schools where all they have is a land acknowledgement because that's as far as they're willing to go. Okay. So if we have a labor acknowledgement, that's as far as they're willing to go. What else can people do? So I just, um, I want folks to heed Dr. McLeod's word of doing their work where they are to see what it looks like. There is a port right mm-hmm. here in Perth Amboy, New Jersey, where folks came in. But if I think about labor in its, in its contemporary context, um, I am I am thinking about, in my context, a lot of Black and Latina folks who are doing um, and actually, New, New Jersey is very ethnically diverse. There is a lot of immigrant labor that is had that that does the work that goes unaddressed or not publicly recognized. And being able to actually say, what do we do with this to bring um, to make visible the honor and the appreciation that we have for that labor, and not doing it at the expense of recognizing that a lot of that history comes back to anti-blackness mm-hmm. uh and folks yeah, don't I... want to touch anti-blackness they just it is just like they just can't i'm like you have to we can't get right until we get right around anti-blackness right. can i i wanted to jump in really quickly because i also want to um reiterate that we need to be mindful of how we use not and this is not for dr collier but we want to make sure that people understand that anti-blackism is not just racism against black people. It's literally that you can't imagine the humanity of black people, black bodies. And I know mm-hmm. folks have troubled the term black bodies, um, but literally the presence of black people, right? So when you talk about the presence of black people throughout the US, our physical ability to move has been legislated. Right. So if you don't see black people there, that's a policy decision. There's a reason not because we didn't want to go or something like that. It's like, no, you can't go. You will die. Right. You will be you will be taken out if you try to go here. And that's still an issue today. Right. Black folks have been very clear about where we can and cannot go, why we can and cannot go there. And if we enter into certain spaces, people will watch us to see why are you here? Right. Yeah. So also thinking about how that impacts our ability to engage with labor, to move about the country, to to enter certain spaces. Our bodies are still legislated, whether um, legally or just, you know, through um, just social norms. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like why, you know, I talk about, you know, being a faculty member, um, 
where I don't see other Black faculty, the assumption is never that I'm a faculty member, right? Mm. Like my labor, my academic labor is never fully acknowledged or my ability to be an intellectual or thought producer is not acknowledged because I am a surprise. My body is not supposed to be there, right? Mm. Or it's supposed to be there in certain ways. Mm. And so I think that's also something that we need to recognize when it comes to labor acknowledgements is that you only see me in certain ways. And so when I don't show up in those ways, or if I do show up in those ways, I am a surprise either way. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, we think about geographic space. I think that's also important to, to acknowledge the ways that Black bodies are restricted. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the only other thing I would add to, to this particular conversation, Keith, and I think it's a good question, is that I think you can't get to the present without going through the past. Mm -hmm. That's always <laughs> what would be my offering. And so I think about, there's this really interesting documentary. It's a little older now, I think early 2010 somewhere called Food Chains. And it was mm -hmm. um, executive produced by Eva Longoria. It was narrated by Forrest Whitaker. And it basically asked the simple question, do you know where your food comes from? Mm -hmm. And what it did is it, it exposed right. the mm -hmm. conditions of, um, migrants, uh, immigrant workers, um, some documented, some not, and literally on these farms, pulling tomatoes, pulling vegetables, pulling fruit, talking about how they get paid cent cents for every so many dozens or hundreds of pounds. Um, mm -hmm. And if we cannot make a connection between people who are forced to work for free right. and people who are basically working for free today, then mm -hmm. we're we're in bad shape. And so I think for me, irrespective of if you feel like you have a, a framework for uh, or, or a history related to chattel slavery or not, that that that, that those echoes still sort of permeate and haunt us today. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that no one should have to work for food, healthcare, and housing. I didn't ask to be here. <laughs> mm -hmm. The reality is, is that we do. And there are some people mm -hmm. who work full time, right. 40, 50, 60 hours a week and are still struggling to get by. That is a justice issue. Mm -hmm. And so for me, and so we can see that in the past, we see it sort of now uh, in the present, right? We see it with inflation and having these other sort of issues. So even if you take a c concern with the what, what I believe is a genesis for this country, um, we can, if you have, you take a step back and sort of have a, a more uh, uh, a structural analysis around labor, capitalism and survival, you should be outraged, right? At the ways people are or not able to sort of make a living or to be well. And so for me, I think for us in this country, having a labor acknowledgement and or commitment allows us to get to the present by going through the past um, and then to sort of understand and have a framework for, okay, so what do we do now? What are our values? What are the things that we want to fight and advocate for um, to address some of these concerns? Well, let's. that's exactly where I want to go next is I'm imagining people listening to this and thinking, okay, I know I could do a labor acknowledgement, but now you're pushing to a labor commitment and yes. I'm on board, but what would I do? Like what if I, and I, and I see this with, with land acknowledgements, people yeah. saying we're not sure. just doing the land acknowledgements sure. and then here is what we are doing. And you know, there's, there's lots of different varying degrees of yeah. that, but I, I'm seeing people sort of move beyond just the acknowledgement into other things what would that look like to move beyond a labor acknowledgement in yeah. the commitment? What would be some of the things on the menu? 
Oh my gosh, how much time do we have? So here's what I would say. We got about 10 minutes. Okay, I'm going to give some ideas and I'll let sure. my colleagues weigh in. I think the short okay. version is there was this wonderful scholar by the name of Frank W. Hill Jr. That's the name of the Black Cultural Center at Ohio State University. And he had a famous phrase that was known on campus that commitment without cash is counterfeit. And so hmm. what I would say is there's a lot of different things we can think about, but they're hard conversations. For example, we know that many corporations don't pay a fair living wage and don't pay benefits. So it might look like when you're doing programs in the halls or for students that you're no longer going to go to Walmart because it's cheap and local. You might mm -hmm. go to Target or somewhere else where they're paying their employees more fairly to produce the things that you need mm -hmm. for your program. It may look like when you're making catering decisions that you don't go to companies that don't provide uh, a living wage or benefits for their employees, but that you go to places that do those things. Um, and so then some people will say, well, what about those companies? Those people still work there. I get that. But then we get to make choices around how we spend our resources that support uh, the types of things we care about as a labor commitment. If you're at a mm -hmm. conference or a convention, part of your acknowledgement is to be able to say that and to put people on notice, um, but then to invite people to make choices about where they will spend their money, about how they engage the people that are engaged in service roles for and with them while they are there. Um, I think that it looks like advocating in our own hiring for a living wage. I don't, I no longer think that fringe benefits that people receive, including folks, you know, that work in housing is enough um, to withhold particular types of, of compensation that allow them to be well. And, and so I hate that it has to always be tied to that, but that's why I said an analysis of labor under capitalism matters because mm -hmm. people need to be able to, to, to pay for the things that they need sort of to be well. So I think when you think about labor commitments, it's who is working on my behalf, either in a facility or in a space, where can I use my resources in places and spaces that fairly treat, uh, benefit, compensate those folks? Who do I invite? How do I invite them? And I'll give you another one. Some people may say, well, we just can't. We, we are asked to do more and more with less and less. That's an often refrain from student affairs professionals. Well, then the pushback is then we just have to do less. So that way, when we do it, it's ethical. Mm -hmm. That way, when we do it, we're able to afford the people that we need to come speak and to serve us. And so mm -hmm. I think that is the gift. We can't do more and more with less. We have to get out of it because that's also capitalistic in its own right. And so mm -hmm. those are just some examples. I don't want to go on and on, but there's many things we can do to commit to sort of equitable and fair labor practices that commit to allowing people to be more well and more whole. I th I think that's super helpful. And Joan and Layla, if you have some other things to add in there, I think that would be wonderful. Layla, you're welcome to go. My my actual response is it might be actually helpful to name them more and more because where people get stuck is what does that actually mean? And having a hard mm -hmm. conversation of it might mean you have to do less. And I know mm -hmm. for the practitioner, some of them is my job is at stake if I do less. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. So I'm talking to leaders now as assistant mm -hmm. vice president, leader to leader. Are, are, we have budgetary decisions we need to make. And what that means is what is it that we're asking folks to do? Um, how are we understanding um, the ethical nature of money? I mean, within capitalism, what's ethical, right? Like where we're all doing like the best that we can. And if that means that we're doing less, how are we prioritizing? Uh, so for me, it's not just the right now conversation. It's an ongoing, what are our priorities and what ethics undergird what uh, um, the work that we're going to do? One of the complaints that my that I, I believe my office gets, we are office of predominantly Black women. We are university equity. And so there are a lot of 
thoughts about what we do and what we should air quotes be doing mm-hmm. um, is that we don't do enough. And we are clear. We do what only we can do. Amen. Amen. Doing what only we can do as is our organizational function. And mm-hmm. we will do what is a strategic priority, right? If there's room for us to do other stuff, then we will. And that is one way that we can embody an acknowledgement of like what we do. Again, I paid well. I'm not going to hold you. My salary is fine. What it took to give me my proper salary is a whole nother ball game. But those commitments for leaders mean we mm-hmm. actually have to have an awareness. And um, my hope is that leaders actually think about labor in their work and not as like an official university labor issue in the South labor. There's no office on labor in the way that there are in more unionized states. So I I, I want to say labor as a practice or a concept in the way TJ would say it, not as your labor, as your institutional functioning labor mm-hmm. office, but right. how are we actually thinking about what we do, how we're honoring work and the history of it and how our current practices inflame historical and structural um, exploitation and harm in ways that we may or may not be aware. So we need to get curious and we need to put practice to it. And that's on us as leaders, if we're actually trying to cultivate more just, I don't know that we'll ever get to justice, but more just mm-hmm. spaces as work environments. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hearing from, from TJ, put resources where it needs to be. I'm hearing from you, let's be ethical about how we're utilizing labor. I'm saying do are... the best we got. Oh yeah. Right. Because right. I know my leaders are going to say, we don't have no money. I'm going to say, mm-hmm. with the current commitments you have, you have no more money. But those mm-hmm. are the commitments that you made. So how do you mm-hmm. reimagine your mm-hmm. commitments? And yeah. that was not an, actually an, an invitation for me to start talking, but I'm Baptist. So you're like, oh, man, I I'm going to be quiet, though. I'm going to be quiet. Layla. Yeah, Um. just to wrap it up, something else that I think about in terms of practical ways, we've mentioned that often on uh, college campuses, there are folks who work in um, housekeeping, sanitation work, groundskeeping. A lot of times universities will have award ceremonies to recognize um, staff are doing stuff, that population of staff is often left out of those conversations. Mm-hmm. So how do we make, and those those folks are often the people that a lot of our students have really deep and, yeah, and fulfilling yeah. relationships with. Yeah. So how do we honor the labor? They keep our campuses going, especially I'm thinking during COVID, those are the folks that couldn't work from home. And yeah. so how do we make sure that we acknowledge the work that they're doing? Another thing, I have to shout out Dr. Collier um, and Dr. Britt Williams for their work around citational practices and honoring mm-hmm. the labor of of black women um, and research, right? So that's another labor of love. We're often writing um, without compensation. And mm-hmm. we know that um, black faculty in particular, black researchers in particular, um, our work is often not cited. So that's another commitment that mm-hmm. folks can make to make sure that when you're doing research that you are you are honoring the labor um, of black, um, queer and trans, folks um, in your work. And so I think those are two offerings that I have of other commitments that people can make to honor the folks that keep our institutions running and also to make sure that we're engaging um, in ethical citation practices and highlighting the voices of Black, queer, and trans folks. I'm really glad you brought up, you were talking about the recognition in terms of awards. And and one of the things I was thinking about is just seeing people, just Mm -hmm. that kind of recognition. And I'm thinking Mm -hmm. particularly about at conferences and hotels and just Mm -hmm. seeing the people who are doing these things and acknowledging him and eye contact and interacting and mm-hmm. not um, being comfortable with making them invisible, which I think mm-hmm. is troubling in so many different ways. Um, 
All right. So we are running out of time. So this podcast is called Student Affairs Now. We would love to hear what you are thinking, pondering, troubling now. It may be related to this conversation. It might be just something that is that is close to you at this moment. And if you want to share where folks can connect with you, uh, feel free to share that. So TJ, we're going to start with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just really humbled that for the folks, institutions, and places that have engaged this work, um, and it's always surprising. I'll do a search and just sort of see what else is out there, but so many of it just point back to this piece, which is mm-hmm. um, unsettling in some ways, but exciting in others. And so I think what's next for me is to engage in some scholarly writing around this. Like I wrote that sort of as an op-ed editorial piece, mm-hmm. but really engaging in some uh, epistemological, ontological thinking around this in relation to labor and Black people and Blackness. So that's what's up for me and what's next. And I do think making some practical, here's what you can do is helpful. Um, and if you want to find me, my username is at Tara J, T-E-R-A-H-J-A-Y. And I'm on, that's the same one on all the platforms because I can't, I don't know, not things. creative enough to come up with different yeah. names. So happy to connect offline about this or other things. Wonderful. Joan, what's with uh, you now? My mind, I'm a EDI, equity, diversity, inclusion, accessibility, justice. I'm thinking First Amendment rights um, and their often tussle with commit commitments, air quoted mm-hmm. or not, to inclusion and equity on our campuses. Think of our colleagues down south, thinking of uh, the fugitivity of equity and inclusion work, uh, particularly in mm-hmm. places where there are actual like laws on the books now or there's immense social and societal pressure. Um, people are losing money. They're losing their jobs uh, and what what that means when we are uh, having policy and law that says we don't see difference even though that is a choice for the law itself mm-hmm. to make that's mm-hmm. raggedy and goes back to some mess that we don't want um so I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking of also to myself about uh mutual aid amongst uh mm-hmm. like organic mutual aid our institutions cannot by definition do transformative justice so what that means is our students get frustrated and i'm like you can do restorative justice but not transformative justice but that doesn't mean that mutual aid does not already exist and that's a way of being that folks from around the world have always functioned Mm -hmm. to ensure that we have what we need and there's a tremendous amount need be it uh, material be it um health and wellness for folks to be well to feel loved longing all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. Um, if folks want to find me i'm on the Twitter's at Joan Collier, PhD, J-O-A-N-C-O-L-L-I-E-R-P-H-D um, on Twitter. Um, and, you know, you can hit me up at my institutional yeah. email, but baby, open records do exist. So keep Be it careful. Keep, keep it mute. Okay. <laughs> let me just, let me just emphasize, you said fugitivity. Fugitivity. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to be thinking awesome. about that tomorrow. Yes. Go ahead, Layla. Go ahead, Layla. Um, so next for me is I've been thinking a lot about um, labor exchanges as it relates to student affairs graduate programs and uh, divisions of student affairs. So a lot of my um, future conversations will talk about how can we address that um, that tra- the transactional nature of that relationship to really honor the well-being of both sides and to help move our uh, our profession forward because right now it's not sus- it, it's not sustainable it's been hanging on by a thread and it's often led folks to rethink um, remaining in the field. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hey Dr. Layla, which is H E Y D R L A I L A. Awesome. 
Wonderful. Well, thanks all of you so much. You you have each given me some little nuggets that I'm going to be chewing on. So this is uh, fantastic. Uh, and uh, so thanks to all three of you for being here, for being in conversation and uh, for giving us so much to think about uh, and to put into practice. This has been terrific. Thanks for your leadership. Uh, awesome. Thanks also to our sponsor of today's episode, Simplicity. Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility services. To learn more, visit simplicity.com uh, or connect with them on social media. A huge shout out to our producer, Nat Ambrosi, who does all of the behind the scenes labor to make us look and sound good. We love the support for those these important conversations from our community. You can help us reach even more folks by subscribing to our podcast, YouTube, and weekly newsletter, announcing each new episode and more. If you're so inclined, you can also leave us a five-star review. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to the fabulous guest today and to everyone who is watching and listening. Make it a great week. Thanks all. <laughs>